Welcome to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. We are for the misfits, those who don't fit in at school, those who don't fit in at church, those who feel they don't fit in anywhere. We are misfits, we are called to be misfits, and we are called to be for the misfits. Welcome to episode eight of the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. I'm here with uh, someone who was a colleague of mine, or is a colleague still in a way, Ben Lohmeyer. And if you're wondering, yes, I do know people who have names other than Ben, but this is the third Ben I've interviewed. Um, so Ben used to work with me at Table College um, and has now uh, moved over to Flinders University, working in the social work department. Ben's done lots of research uh, among young people, in particular about youth violence and um, youth uh, change movements and things like that. So um, thanks for joining us, Ben. It's great to be here. I'll believe that you know other people other than Ben's when I see it. So <laughs> the next interview to not be with a Ben. I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> it's just uh, all the Ben's are the best. Oh, um, Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, Ben, um, tell us a bit about your story and like your experience with youth ministry slash youth work. Sure. Um, so it depends how far back you want to go, of course. So I grew up in a church, so this definitely was involved in youth ministry kind of settings growing up. Some of the amazing memories and experiences of doing things like um, camps and uh, you know Friday night youth groups are just incredibly joyful memories for me mm. of being involved in youth ministry as a young person, there's some great things that were happening then. Um, then I've also been involved in, uh, you know, you, you, as you do in church, you, you're part of the youth group and then at some point you become part of the leadership of the youth group if you hang around <laughs> long enough. You know, you stuff as well. Uh, and there's this great program I was involved in for a while as both a participant and then a leader called Year in the Sun, which people might have heard of. Oh, um, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, Tabor ran for many years and uh, Tabor at one stage was had sort of national uh, satellite campuses and some of them um, were, were running a Year in the Sun program as well. Essentially what it was was a gap year program for mm. people who were leaving you know, high school, leaving year 12, didn't want to go straight into uni, so they'd spend a year of self-discovery, self-reflection. Um, and I did that at Tabor. Uh, at the time, it was being run by a guy's name is Phil Daughtry, uh, who you know as well as him and some of the other. <laughs> might See, well. I do know someone other than Ben's. <laughs> it is. Hey, I know I a Phil. I know a Phil. Excellent. <laughs> uh, uh, so that was great, and then I was involved in leading that for a bit as well. The the program is really structured around a lot of self reflection and um, mm. trying to discover your sense of identity and purpose. I think so that they were really great times as well. Mm. Um, and then I think kind of the last really explicit ministry setting I was involved in was more a kind of interfaith youth ministry context. Uh, so I got involved mm. in through an organization called Pache Bene, um, sort of Australian and US based, I think there might be other countries as well, organization that's um, around promoting the spirituality of nonviolence. Mm. And so they uh, have ran a couple of interfaith um events for young people to be involved in understanding uh, nonviolence as both like a protest um, method, but also as like your lifestyle and way of 
way of being. So um, yeah, mm. really interesting um, kind of framework to think about nonviolence is a conversation I'd like to talk about as well. Uh, so there's that, and then I've, I'm also a youth worker. I work in a social work department, but I don't have a social work qualification. I have a youth work qualification. Very proud of that. Uh, and so I've worked most of my <laughs> youth work career in kind of non-government organizations, mm -hmm. uh, doing things like alternative education, alternative accommodations, some restorative justice, um, those sort of things. Uh, so that's where most of my youth work, youth ministry background has been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that whole um, can of worms about social work versus youth work is for another podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm curious about what made you decide to start getting into youth work? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I think I remember at the time when I left uh, school, I wanted to become a mechatronic engineer. Wow. Uh, I got into uh, that course. Um, that's making robots, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so then I did Year in the Sun and had a, a slight shift in direction and decided to go into to youth work instead. I'm sure you can see the parallels between robots. <laughs> Almost the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Progress, something. I don't know. Let's not go there. Um, and the thing I think that shifted that for me, though, was an experience of a different kind of way of being and seeing the world. So during Year in the Sun, uh, having an opportunity to uh, participate in what I, I now talk about as kind of contemplative spirituality mm. uh, really shifted my sense of the world and what I wanted to do with my time. Um, and so that, that was that shift into the youth workspace, wanting to, to do that. Mm. Uh, yeah, and so that... It's interesting. I was thinking back on you know why did I get involved in the the specific area of youth work that I did, um, and I, there's one of the conversations that we used to have with the students at table when I was working there with you. Uh, mm. Subject that was really an introduction to youth work uh, as a whole. It kind of comes up in the first year, first semester for the students. Uh, it's a really rich time for these students who are coming in. Very enthusiastic, lots of great ideas, but not usually a lot of context for what mm. youth work looks like. Mm. This conversation says, well, this is what youth work looks like over here, or this is what youth work looks like over here. Uh, and so that can be in kind of those explicit youth ministry contexts, like what a lot of people in there grew up in. A lot mm. of people who come and study youth work at Tabor have grown up in the church. There are a decent number as well who haven't and have come in because they uh, want to study youth work specifically or connect with a broader conversation around spirituality mm. so that that's good a lot of the students start there as did I um, but then you get to kind of a conversation about well there are other contexts where youth work happens too that aren't mm. just explicit ministry contexts perhaps there there's something not quite as explicit like you don't have to talk about Jesus or you don't have to kind of use that really explicit ministry language but you still get to uh, embody something of the church mm. and, and Christianity do and that looks like what we probably call parachurch context, right? So you've got yeah. uh, something where people have a strong association with the church, but they do a lot of their work outside of uh, the immediate community of the church. So rather mm. than ministering to the people who are already there, you're kind of out in the community, you're having conversations with people, um, perhaps around some of their needs, and, and that might be, um, you know, there's a, a ministry that your church has around pick an issue homelessness or mm. or food or, or something like that 
Um, and then there's almost like another bucket, if you want to think about it this way, where it's, it's youth work without any of those explicit attachments. It's not attached mm -hmm. to a church or to a faith context, um, but is very values-based. So, you know, you're motivated by yeah. the deep values within the, the, the spiritual tradition around things like, you know, justice and peace, mm. um, you know, ideas like uh, the, the strong sort of social justice method where um, there's that preferential option for the poor as a kind of way of thinking about God's ministry. Um, and in those contexts, that's where I found myself most attracted to. Mm. So, mm. Say, yeah, working in those non-government, non-church organisations, but motivated by uh, you know, deeply held spiritual values. Mm. Mm. So in that sense, what for you is the difference between youth work and youth ministry? Um, I think there's lots of differences. And I think uh, there's lots of important kind of different questions and ethical problems in those two different contexts. You know, mm -hmm. One of the ways um, that I make sense of it is kind of youth ministry has an explicit agenda in some ways. Mm. You know, it is about, uh, it's about a faith conversation. And that doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, like an, a conversion kind of idea. You're, you're ministering to people to convert, but you, you're there for a very explicit purpose around yeah. um, about having those faith conversations. Totally. Whereas youth work, uh, I think, has a very deliberate and explicit um, youth-centered approach that challenges any other uh, central purpose. So if mm. you you come to youth work with another purpose like ministry does, it it creates a tension that isn't easily resolved. I don't mm. think it's necessarily a problem. Um, I think there is, I mean, obviously, youth work has a very long history that has been strongly attached to church and faith-based movements. Yeah, yeah. So, Especially in kind of the Australian UK context, um, mm. a lot of a lot of youth ministry and youth work is just done by faith-based organisations. So, to kind of discount them all and say, "Oh, you, that, that doesn't work. You can't be doing youth work mm. if you're in youth ministry," is clearly uh, an oversimplification. Mm. But uh, there is a tension there, and I don't think we should hide away from that. I think sure. we should have more explicit conversations about it. Mm. But. But I think um, there's another idea that I really like that helps me make sense of it, which comes from our aforementioned uh, good friend, Phil. And I remember him <laughs> saying this in some of my early youth work training. He said, if you set up a bonfire on the beach, you don't need to tell people that it's warm. <laughs> True. Like, it's, it kind of is obvious, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. For me, that speaks to something about my approach, my way of thinking about mm. this context between youth ministry and youth work or my motivation for doing the kind of work that I do. Is I think if you are, are doing something that people value and people see the value of and it's explicitly clear that mm. that's um, what you're here for and it's, it's meeting a need, then people are attracted to that. Yeah, totally. And you don't need to explain to them that mm. bonfire's hot mm. and don't like it or you, know, you kind of, you're welcome here. People get attracted to that. And so mm. I think that idea motivates a lot of the way that I think about it. What, what, what work am I doing that mm. is attractive and useful to people? Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, there's two things that I, I really like is kind of the approaching young people without an agenda, which, as you said, is probably near impossible, but having that as as the goal is probably the key to youth work, I think. And I really like this idea of setting up a bonfire. Like, it, like I think of the many, many bonfires um, that my youth, youth group used to do when I was a, both a leader and a, a youth. I don't know what it was with us and fire. Anyway. Um, <laughs> There's always fire in a youth group somewhere. It's a little <laughs> bit scary, but that's okay. Whether it's a good fire or a bad fire. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I like the, the image of that. Because where my mind went to was when you're at a bonfire, you don't need an agenda. You can just sit together, enjoy the warmth, enjoy the glow, and that relationship just starts to happen with each other. You just start to have conversations, um, something magical about it. And I think that's a really good way of explaining the, the, the crossover between youth ministry and youth work in that contemplative spiritual space that you can actually journey with someone without having to put an agenda before it. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that, like, um, non-faith-based youth work isn't agenda-free, right? It yeah. actually, it's not values. It's not a values-neutral or values-free space. Actually, totally. it's a very explicit values framework. It's mm. a work in this way, uh, and there are limits and problems in that. You know, one of the kind of objections that comes out to any sort of code of ethics or ethical framework or conversation for youth work is sometimes that it can be both too rigid and mm. uh, too flexible. And I like the way that you described it as that these are aspirational statements. So mm. We want our profession to be. Uh, you've got to have those goalposts, otherwise what are you aiming for? Right? Totally. It doesn't yeah. always kick between them. You, know, you, will, you will definitely compromise the things. And clearly, clearly youth work in non-church-based settings is compromised in a myriad of different ways, especially mm. when we start talking about things like funding, right? As soon as you have the funding bucket of money, you have another agenda mm. in the conversation. So it's, it's not about saying we want to work in agenda-free ways. It's about saying what are our values and how do we make them make sense of them and how mm. do we model them and what are the tensions and where do we have to be careful and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, because that, that in itself, the whole funding discussion, that's an interesting one because as soon as someone gives you money, they, they're going to say, this is what I want you to do with it. So yeah. if you're doing a, a youth ministry, trying to do it without an agenda, but you're funded by the church, there's always going to be that we want to see more young people coming into our church. Of course. Yeah. There's mm. an outcome people have in mind for that money. There's always an outcome in mind. Yeah. With that, getting people, young people a job because you're working in an employment education mm. department service, uh, and therefore getting them a job is more important theoretically, in terms of the outcomes than, say, their holistic well-being. Mm. Or if you're in a church setting where, yeah, you might want more young people to come in or simply there's some values clash that happens along the way yeah. what the church believes and what the young people need. Uh, and So how do you, you wrestle with that? That's mm. difficult. I don't think there's simple answers to it, but I actually think it's a lot of fun doing the wrestle as well. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I'm hoping to call people to is to actually engage in that wrestle. Um, yeah, acknowledge the tensions. The when there's a hidden agenda, what do you do with that? Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. Did you want to talk more about kind of some of your reasons for going down the line of youth works instead of youth ministry? Or um, sure. Uh, I think pa 
part of it kind of almost ties into what we we're talking about as well um, in terms of people need to engage in the tension because part of the reason I think uh, the failing to engage with that tension is a problem, mm. not just because of not acknowledging it, but I think you also end up just missing the point of being there. Mm. If you're trying to avoid having a difficult conversation, then you've probably missed that the difficult conversation is actually really important and part of mm. the reason that you're there. So in yeah. some ways, what I'm trying to say, Tim, is if we don't do it, uh, if we don't talk about these things, your, your youth ministry is probably going to be irrelevant. Mm. It's not going to be meeting the needs of where the people are at at the time um, and therefore people are just going to be disinterested. Mm. So mm. I, I'm really interested in having conversation with people about what they're into, interested in at that point. Um, there's a whole... A framework around uh, an idea called critical pedagogy or informal education. Oh, that's a big word. <laughs> big words. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, it's this guy, South American educator, whose name is Paolo Friere. Mm -hmm. uh, he uh, has a really interesting story that I'm going to butcher uh, and just tell the really short version of, which is uh, that he had was so effective at his form of education that he developed that the story goes he could teach kind of illiterate um, rural farmers to read in like a month. Wow. Um, he was really effective at doing it. And his whole idea was that you had to get rid of the structured curriculum and instead start from a place of interest for the people who you mm. were working with, uh, and workshop that and have these these moments of immediate relevance mm. that they use. So you, you start there. Uh, and then when people engage with that, they can begin to, to see their world as changeable rather mm. than stuck in the, the moment that they're in. Mm. We talked about it as being the process of another big word, conscientization. It's just hard to oh, say. I love that one. <laughs> Try to get that one out. But it's about <laughs> becoming conscious of the system and the society that you live in and your mm. place so if you start there, you start with uh, interests in what the people you're working with are interested in, mm. and you're interested in helping them see the world as changeable, uh, as something that they can participate in that's not a foregone conclusion, um, then you, I think you end up having very interesting, uh, probably difficult conversations mm. about things people care about, uh, rather than starting with you know, some other agenda or end goal that you want yeah. to get to, whether it be reading or you know, in the case of what Palafrio is doing or getting them to join your church as we might in a kind of youth ministry context. If you start with that as your outcome, then you're probably never going to really engage them in a meaningful mm. way. Mm. Yeah, so what like, you're saying is like we need to start from a place of listening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, that would be a really good place to start. There's this other really interesting idea uh, which we were talking about before, which um, – sort of speaks to still I think is really relevant, I find really powerful uh, to the role of the church in society. Uh, so we were talking before about this letter from Birmingham Jail, which people might have come across before. I was actually thinking just before, I, there's um, a great podcast uh, that Phil does, uh, which is called Contemplative Corner. And I was mm. talking about this idea on there before, so we can maybe give people a link as well if they want. Hey, nice, nice. Martin Luther <laughs> King uh, wrote this letter from Birmingham jail uh, when he went to Birmingham during the civil rights movement. He was invited there, I think, by uh, the movement 
and the predominantly white church uh, at the time kind of wrote this public letter saying to him, don't come here, you're going to disrupt the peace, we don't want that, um, and saying, you know, essentially we don't, don't support your ministry here. Um, mm. And so he did come and got arrested and went to jail. <laughs> I um, love that part so much of this story. It's just, just like, I love that because they said don't come and then he's like, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm not bothered, I'm coming anyway. <laughs> And so this letter is definitely worth a read. If you just Google a letter from Birmingham jail, you can find the full letter. It's been you know, reused and republished so many times. Uh, there's this great section in there where he talks about the role of the church in society. And he says the mm. church needs to be much more, he says, powerful. Uh, he talks about the mm. being not a thermometer, but like a barometer that they would uh, be able to, not barometer, thermostat. Um, oh, yeah. I, yep. I'm not so good with my... Uh, weather analogies. Anyway, uh, is that <laughs> the church to stir up trouble, essentially, that it would be a force for social change and that mm. it would not just accept you know, that um, the status quo, but instead saying there's, there's something else that we can be in this space. Um, and he talks about it being uh, you know, um, disturbers of the peace and outside agitators, a colony of heaven. He uses this sort of language. But he says that the church doesn't do that anymore. Mm. Um, he's actually brutal in this letter. I, I love it. It's so challenging. He says mm. the church is often weak, ineffectual voice with uncertain sound. Um, and he goes on to Ouch. this last little, little bit that I'll read to you if you like. He says the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. Mm. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring forfeit the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 21st, 20th century. Yes, yes, he only said 21st. Interesting. Um, I meet young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's not very nice. Like, mm. He kind of lays it out. Uh, <laughs> it's important to keep in mind the context that he's in as well. Like there, this is a during a push for civil rights, mm. is a, a large social movement which is kind of demanding equality. Um, that's the kind of vision of the church that he has. It's not just the church disrupting for disruption's sake. You know, mm. being enacting those values we we're talking about before, like justice and peace, and and saying this is what we want to see. Um, and he's just basically saying, yeah, like if we don't do this, we're not relevant. Young people are going to leave. Yeah, because it's yeah. not relevant to their lives. And that's what's happening. It's exactly what's happening. So what I find, what I have a thought about on that is some of my listeners might be thinking, well, the civil rights movement is is done. I mean, that's another discussion. Racism is not dealt with. But anyway. <laughs> Back around to that one. We'll put that one on the back burner to talk about another time. Um, so what are, what are the issues? Because that the church should be getting up in arms about and should be creating social change around. And I ask that because when I think of the church at the moment when it is um, kind of, uh, how did he put it, you know, um, being a disturbance, I, I, I think of, and I'm sorry if my listeners like this particular group, I think of the Australian Christian lobby and a lot of it is not, in my mind, a lot of the way they speak is not in line with, you know, Christ-like values, the way that they act and talk. Um, anyway, 
I'm probably going to get some backlash for that. Whoops. <laughs> uh, it's good, man. Like we were saying before, you've got to have the difficult conversations. So Yeah. What, what do you think of when you hear that quote? What are some issues that you think the church has become irrelevant on? Yeah, or Lewis, here's the point, man. I think, um, kind of like I said before, it's not just about church being a problem in society just for the sake of it. Hmm. You've got to take the context in which Martin Luther King is talking, and he's talking about, like we said, a civil rights movement, so the movement towards the embodiment of the values that is at the core of what it means to be you know, a, a faith-based, a Christian institution, and those are around those ideas of like justice and peace and mercy. And, and so I think, like you say, if, you, if you're not, if you have groups who are just agitating and problematic, that's, that's not what he's talking about. Mm. He's not talking about just railing against everything. Mm. But I think what you do is you start with, like we said before, let's listen to young people. What are the movements the church should be involved in? Well, what, are, what do young people care about? And, man, it's mm. no, no secret. Uh, it's pretty obvious if you're paying any attention. There are large social movements in our world right now that young people aren't just part of, that they're leading. Mm. You've got to ask the question, well, where's the church? So where's the church in the school strikes for climate movement? Mm. Where's them pushing and supporting young people in their desperate cry for a safe and, and sustainable planet to live on in the future. Like You want to talk about protecting um, lives and, and protecting um, you know, this sense of children's innocence or, or mm. any sort of those classic sort of conservative values, that's where you can definitely embody that. Or, you know, there's a, there's a myriad of other movements that young people were involved in, whether it's kind of, uh, you know, anti-gun lobbying in the mm. US or you know, there are peace movements globally, like I mentioned before, like Pache Bene, which young people were at the forefront of. Or, you know, not too long ago in Australia, there was a very strong movement called Love Makes a Way, which was about uh, getting children who are in offshore refugee camps mm. out of those and get them into, into our country. Mm. And people that I interviewed were involved in some really creative protests in that space. Uh, they were doing things like... Um, they wanted politicians to make a commitment to uh, to get children out of these detention centres. Mm. And so they went to the politicians' offices and said, we'd like this commitment from you. We're your constituents. Can you do that, please? And, and they wouldn't get a very good answer. So they would just uh, and they would just say, well, that's fine. Take as long as you like, but we're just going to sit here in, in the office. Wow. And they would come with sometimes gifts for the staff there. They would say, look, we realise this is stressful for you, so we've got a bunch of teddy bears for you. Or we're going to sit here on the floor and sing worship songs and light a few candles and create a happy space here. But we're not leaving until you give us a commitment on this blatant wow. human rights issue. And, of course, they would get arrested and eventually you know, the police would come and say, you're trespassing and off they go. Um, and interestingly, I'm not sure if in all cases, but a lot of the cases, the majority of the cases, uh, they would go to court or they wouldn't get as far as court and the charges would be dismissed. Wow. Or the would say, you know, what you're doing is actually really great. So keep doing it, but, you know, I'm going to dismiss these charges for now. Mm. So then, and this was youth-led, this movement? This, this love light, was it love makes a way? Love lights away? Yeah. That was youth-led? Yeah, it wasn't, I don't think it was like really kind of youth-led from a... Uh, okay. 
a purist perspective, but there were a lot of young people involved mm. in that movement mm. um, and taking leadership roles. So it's not, mm. not like the school strike for climate movement, which is so clearly a yeah. non-person-centred one. Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. And so I guess if if I can summarise kind of, you know, what we've kind of talked about, how the church can... Um, be a bit more for the young people that are in the in the church how we can um, be a bit agendaless is um, to start with listening but then not just listening but also joining yes so it's like listening to what is what are the issues that you see that that you're really passionate about and then how can I boost that how can I support you in that and join you in that I really like that it's this kind of inbuilt assumption uh, that I think youth work can offer youth ministry and, and mm. challenges is the question of what do we believe about young people? You know, mm. Do we believe that they are capable and competent and are able to do great things and take on leadership roles and have things that are of interest and of value that we can learn or do we assume something else like that mm. they don't know something and we've got to come in and tell them or yes. incapable and we've got to come in and rescue them or yeah. you know, they're risky and dangerous and so let's go in and fix them. Mm. what's our assumption and mm. if you the second lot then yeah sure you get a whole bunch of programs where you go and do stuff to young people and you know maybe maybe some of them will re- be really fun yeah mm. no doubt that'll, that'll be great but you're gonna miss what mm. young people are really interested in yeah you're not going to engage them in things that are really relevant to their lives mm. and see them in a, in a way that doesn't understand what they're already doing so i think we can start with a different assumption and then we can get involved in what young people are already doing. Uh, and then that will give us this rich and deep and engaging and difficult conversation to be part of. Mm, totally. Yeah. That, that sounds like something that I want to talk about on my podcast. It's like on my list, actually, the whole, what are our assumptions about young people and how does that affect the way that we act towards them? Um, basically, as you know, Ben, one of the subjects we, we have at table, kind of a very small taster of it. Um, so maybe we can um, we can have you back sometime. We can chat more about that, um, oh. chat, chat about our assumptions and how that affects our treatment of young people. Absolutely. Sounds great. Yeah, That's sounds great. really good. Um, so, yeah, I think we're at the, our 30-minute mark, which is I try to keep our podcast to half an hour. But I really enjoyed hearing what you have to say, Ben. And, you know, of course, we've had these kind of conversations before, but it's really cool to think about it in the context of churches and youth ministries and that, you know, churches can be part of really important social movements and can be part of making a difference with young people, not just in young people. Yeah. Really like, hmm. It's worth, I think, kind of hedging my bets in some way and saying there are actually people in the church who do this stuff as well. Like, this Sure. It doesn't happen. There's mm. lots of great examples where it does. I think that's um, the challenge for us to think about youth ministry kind of going forward. What can it look like there? Yeah, totally, totally. Well, thanks so much, Ben, for your time. I've really enjoyed our chat. Pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, we'll have you back again soon. Um, now, Ben, you mentioned the contemplative corner. Um, I just want to take this opportunity to uh, mention if anybody happens to be listening uh, on the day that I'm releasing this, which is November 8th, this Friday at the Perth campus of Tabor College, we are actually holding a training in contemplative practices. So um, 
It's called uh, Being and Becoming. You'll find the event on Facebook if you just look up our Facebook page. Um, then you can engage in some of these contemplative spiritualities and um, enjoy what we have enjoyed for so long at table. Well, until next time, everyone, stay misfit. Thanks for listening to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. If you want to continue the conversation, join our Facebook group. It's called Youth Ministry Misfits. Here we will post more information, more research, and we will also post about future in-person gatherings. If you'd like to know more about training for your youth ministry, send me an email at tmullen at tabor.edu.au. That's T-M-U-L-L-E-N. If you're interested to know even more, why don't you consider studying with us at Tabor? We offer youth work, counselling, creative writing, ministry, and more. Check us out at tabor.edu.au. Until next time, stay misfit.